And he walked in, and at that time, things were really very much going towards issuing an executive order that night. I mean, this was how close we came. And he came with a map uh, of all the states that had voted for President Trump. They're all big agricultural state. Derek Kushner credits Sonny Perdue for, for changing the time. Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Welcome back to Canusa Street, everybody. Canusa Mex, as it is, we're in our pop-up studio in Mexico City. I'm Scotty Greenwood with the Canadian American Business Council, joined by my great dear friend, the brilliant Dr. Chris Sands. Hey, Chris. Hey, Scotty. Nice to be so flatteringly described in uh, Mexico Linda beautiful Mexico. Absolutely. And I'm excited about our conversation today because it might be um, my favorite interview so far in all of the history of Canusa Street. We have Ambassador Louise Blay, and she's brilliant and accomplished, and we have so much to discuss. Uh, but let me introduce, have you introduce her properly, Chris, and then we'll get right to it. Oh, I, I am glad to. Ambassador Louise Blay was Canada's Deputy Permanent Representative to the United Nations in New York. That's ambassador to the UN, but they have that permanent representative phrasing from 2017 to 2021. And during the time since, she served as vice president on UNICEF, the United Nations International Children's Educational wow. Foundation Fund, yeah, which is uh, very important work uh, on their executive board. She began her professional career as an art theft analyst. Sounds like something out of Robertson Davies, you know, uh, <laughs> the fifth business is here someplace. Uh, but she was working at Interpol. And then she managed the development program at the National Archive of Canada before joining the Department of Foreign Affairs and International Trade in 1996. And as a senior diplomat, she served around the world in Washington, Tokyo, and as Minister Counselor for Public Affa Political Affairs in the Embassy in Paris. So uh, a world traveler. Now, uh, jumping ahead to some of her more recent activities, she's on the advisory boards of the Canadian Forum for Impact Investment, ADC Technologies, and she's a distinguished John Robson lecturer at Emory University in beautiful Atlanta. Uh, she's been the recipient of many honors and a distinguished leadership award uh, recently received from the Business Council of Alabama, which is very nice. And she's been a media commentator on foreign affairs. I don't know where you found time to talk to us, but we're delighted <laughs> that you're here on Canusa Street. Welcome, Ambassador Blake. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you. And um, Chris, you left out not very much, but you did leave out when Louise Blay was the Canadian Consul General in Atlanta. And she and I got to collaborate oh, um, in that capacity. But also, uh, Ambassador Blay, let's start in Atlanta, because you cultivated some very critical relationships that ended up being quite important uh, for Canada and for the Canada-US relationship. So talk to us a little bit about your approach to cultivating friends in high places. Scotty, thank you. It's such a great question. And, and really, here it gives me the opportunity to say just how important it is that the Canadian government has eyes and ears throughout the United States. Yes, uh, Washington, D.C. is important. Yes, many decisions are made there, but those decisions, they actually are forged regionally. And if you don't understand what's going on in different parts of the United States, you're missing, you're missing the story, or at least you're not prepared to face the music when, when it comes. So um, when I was appointed Consul General 
uh, to Canada, to the southeast United States. I really, it was six states. It's the most states that is covered by one uh, con uh, consulate. I really decided that it was um, absolutely primordial that I travel as much as possible, and that I not just be the Consul General to Atlanta, where the Consul is based. They claim you in Atlanta, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, that's all part of the work. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, uh, but to really, to get to know the Southeast, and get to know the culture, get to know the people, and it's when you develop those kinds of relationships that, that it really makes a difference when you do need to call upon your friends. And so, um, I'm going to see, uh, uh, you know, representatives and senators and their district, uh, back on meeting their family, uh, they meet your family, you really get to develop um, uh, a trusting relationship. It's not just representative to representative, it's people to people. And, um, and to me that was uh, enormously important to do, but it also was uh, extremely effective and I'm sure I'll get the chance to explain why. Absolutely. Well, and I know I know they love you in Georgia. I don't know how they feel about you in Alabama because I make it a policy as a Georgia person not to go to Alabama <laughs> or <laughs> South Carolina. <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, we, we pick and choose those of us who are actually from the region. Well, we're in Mexico City today and um, Chris mentioned, you know, you're now out of government life into private sector life and you're doing some really important work for the Business Council of Canada. I wonder, as a diplomat and as a business person and as a thought leader, how do you feel? We know a lot about Canada U.S. on Canusa Street. We know, we know a little bit about Mexico U.S., but what about Canada Mexico? What are, what are your thoughts there? How's it going? I think that for too long uh, we have seen Mexicans and Canadians have seen each other through the prism of our relationship with the United States. Mm -hmm. And even more so, even though NAFTA was a huge achievement, and obviously USMCA, the modernization of NAFTA, is a trilateral uh, triumph, one could say, uh, it has only reinforced that approach really? to okay. each other. And we really haven't developed uh, or uh, taken the time to develop a, a really strong bilateral you know, relations. And so I was really delighted when the Business Council uh, tapped me, as well as a former amba Mexican ambassador to Canada, to come up with a series of recommendations on what uh, we would do, we would recommend our governments and our business sector would do to optimize, um, optimize the, you know, the relations. So it's interesting because the working title of the report is Primed for Growth. There's so much room here to really uh, expand our trade ties. That's optimistic. Ties. Yeah, that's forward looking. Well, you know, and just one more for me, Chris, and then over to you. I don't need, I, I would love to hog the time with, with uh, Ambassador Blake because I adore her so much. But just speaking on that work um, primed for growth, you know, I know that it's already making waves. Last night I was at a dinner here in Mexico City with a, a senior advisor to uh, the president of Mexico. and they mentioned that they were looking forward to in advance of the North American Leaders Summit, which will be here in Mexico City in just a couple of months. Uh, they're looking forward to that work and Canadian American Business Council will be part of it. The Business Council of Canada will be part of it. But what are, what are the main findings or recommendations that uh, that you will be making, Ambassador? 
Or, or is it embargoed until public publication? It's totally embargoed. Okay, but <laughs> just tease it a little bit for it. Because we're so such good friends, um, I'm happy to talk about some of the the, the thematics that we, we ta that okay. we, we tackled. Um, one was the thematic of streamlining labor mobilization and, and mobility. Uh, we have um, complementary strengths in North America, and we have we have labor shortages in the United States, Absolutely. as well as in Canada, and Mexico is part of the answer. It's not to say, I mean, they're starting to have their own labor shortages, right. but nonetheless, um, they, they really do have incredible, uh, even skilled workers. We always think of Mexico as, as non-skilled workers. There's actually a lot of potential with engineers and, and, and skilled workers. So we, and working at the, on, on the margins of the issue of credentials recogni recognition, doing that work. That's Chris's favorite issue. You just, I, you just yeah, rang I his bell. About credential re mutual recognition. I love to keep you happy. <laughs> I love that. But it's, these are some of the things that were left on the table with the renegotiation of USMCA. I think some of us, and you included, would have hoped, I'd hoped that we would tackle the mobility issue a little bit more head on. It was set aside, uh, and already the agenda, the um, the agreement is already modern. We walked away, all kind of with a big sigh of relief that we got we got it where it was. So I, I guess people were very much aware of of not doing an overreach. But nonetheless, that's an area that our report is working on. Um, we're also looking at uh, how can we engage, make sure that the business community is engaging more um, expansively with one another. And we're talking about maybe putting uh, putting in place a, uh, a summit of business leaders, a bilateral summit. And you're talking Mexico, can Canada right. here. Yeah. That's right. And I'll come back, I'll just pause here to say that I think that the the pillars of the trilateral relationship really lies in strong bilateral relationship along the way Canada US, US Mexico and Canada Mexico. I think you, all those pieces are critical. If one of them isn't quite there, the trilateral relationship might get, you know, might lack balance along mm -hmm. the way. Sure. And so and that certainly was the experience during the NAFTA years where the Canada-Mexico relationship it was the weakest link, as they say. And uh, it's taken a while, but it has been improving. It, it has. And uh, and this is why being here for the North Capital Forum uh, is so important. I think this is, while it's not a bilateral um, event, there are bilateral conversations happening on the margins of it while here. That's right. And I think that's key. And that's what the Business Council of Canada is doing with the Consejo, their counterpart in the United States. Um, was very pleased that last week in Montreal, we got to host uh, um, a really distinguished uh, delegation of CEOs from Mexico, where we started looking at some of the recommendations that we were looking at, and um, and now we're looking forward to to bringing uh, a delegation back down. You know probably a few months from now. Well, it strikes me that that engagement is really important because when you look at NAFTA versus USMCA, one of the striking differences is that NAFTA was 
signed, sealed, and done. And there was no mechanism for updating it. And when we were renegotiating, um, people said, well, there were some computer technology jobs that weren't on the list that had never been added. We didn't have a mechanism for adding them. And now we've created something where we're going to come back together in 2026 and talk about changes. But it's also much more open to build on the NAFTA. How important do you think it is that we are able to update and, and maybe make this a better agreement as time goes on. And NAFTA, just for our listeners, I think most of them know, but it's the North American Free Trade Agreement, which allows us to do business here here in U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Right, and we had a Canada-U.S. free trade agreement. Mexico was the big bang that came together. And really, Canada and Mexico's trade through the U.S. was often lost in the shuffle. So this is, now we're talking about much more a trilateral relationship. Can you talk a little bit about keeping it up to date? There are both risks and advantages in the system that has been put in place with USMCA. Uh, I have sense of late people mentioning there's going to be elections and worried that perhaps the deal could be reconsidered. There was a little bit of a scare recently, which I won't go into details on. But my approach is very much what you're suggesting, Chris, which is the, the best the best defense is offense. So instead of spending our time defending the deal to make sure that it gets renewed, let's be more ambitious. Let's add on things that, that, that over time we believe it should include. And let's go at it from that perspective and let the, you know, the, the uh, dispute mechanism take care of the irritants. Keep that separate and keep on building on the bigger central piece. You know, this morning at breakfast here in Mexico City, the U.S. ambassador to Mexico, uh, Ken Salazar, was asked about this uh, automatic review that I think that you're referencing of the USMCA, the new NAFTA, that's going to happen in a couple of years. And, and was he worried about it? And I'm worried about it because I don't think we're doing enough of what you're talking about, Ambassador, which is building support, reminding people of how good it is, and then also adding on to it. And it was funny because uh, I don't know how many people are here, maybe 700 at this conference. It's a lot, over 500. And it, in answer to the question uh, of are you worried about the renewal of the USMCA at the six year at the six year mark, which is two years from now, um, Salazar, Ambassador Salazar just looked at the room and he said, "Let me ask you, you know, show of hands, who is for renewing this?" And you know, everybody raised their hand, and I thought, "Well, right, but but that's preaching to the converted. Like all of us are here because we believe in North America and we want to do better." But I don't think the general public is thinking about it at all. And so I worry that if it gets controversial um, through a political election or through a dispute, that um, there isn't a foundation of goodwill and support. There is in Canada. Somehow Canadians have solved the question of, do we like trade? Yes, we do. But US and Mexico, particularly Mexico, not so much, right? You're right. You're right. And I think that what what we have to avoid doing is staying within this clique of people who believe in the and free trade and speak to each other. Yeah. I mean, that's just right. that's just not going to get us anywhere. I think we have to bring the narrative uh, closer to people who have, you know, who who vote and are interested in these issues. I think one of the pieces with the USMCA that's interesting is the SME piece. And we have to, you know, we know that that's really is the backbone of, of all of our, yeah, yeah, it's the backbone of all of our economies. And that's, you know, millions and millions and millions of people are employed or, or lead SMEs. I think 
getting that piece right will be crucial for the support, ongoing support of the of the accord. I think um, I think that's uh, to me that's very that that's key. One of the discussion we've had here, um, a little bit at my instigation, because this is something that I've been worried about a little bit like you, um, we've had more uh, consultation panels, uh, this, you know, this dispute mechanism we put in place that's so wonderful. Well, guess what? It's being used. Right. And we have more, we've had more uh, of those conversations invoked than we have had with all of NAFTA, I think, by now, and it's here too. The problem with that is that the media focuses on that, right? It's just the media loves dialectic, uh, confrontation, and so uh, you don't hear all about the good news stories of what's happening with USMCA. Mm -hmm. What you're hearing about is, oh, you know, uh, the United States uh, lodged a, uh, a, con a consultation request on on energy, for example, you know, dairy uh, towards Canada or or. So that's something to keep an eye on because that just keeps drawing negative attention. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, if you look at some of, you know, many of these um, uses of the dispute mechanism have gone extremely well. Yeah. Some of the disputes have gotten resolved really quickly. On labor. on labor, it's a big success story. And this for the United States is something that we should, because the United States cares about that. Uh, level playing field very very much so and so do we in Canada of course but uh, but as you pointed out Scotty in Canada we you know we love free trade you'd have to really convince us it's bad <laughs> but in the United States well we need to work so work on it a little bit better well why not celebrate that why not make sure that we cast we you know some some light on on the fact that uh, we've been able to bring up labor standards uh, south of the US border well I want to pick up on that because one of the things that um, that marks this agreement uh, the USMCA as being a bit different is that it was built on a kind of a at least in the U.S., a different trade consensus, one that was recognizing the doubters about free trade, who were, you know, unionized labor, uh, environmentalists and others. And the first time around, it was only the Clinton administration that added some concern for that. But moving forward, what the negotiators did last time was to create some new tools and I have a lot of free market friends who, who have sort of just dismissed it and said, well, it's all protectionism. But it strikes me, and, and I'd love to know what you think of it, because as I look at the agreement, yes, we can have border adjustment fees. Yes, we can have other mechanisms. But what it's about is not protecting weak economies and poor competitors. It's about defending high standards. Because what makes North America so exciting is we want to pay decent wages. But we can't do that if forced labor from China is competing with our people who are being paid properly because they'll just undercut us. Same, we talk about having carbon prices and really trying to build in the cost of the externality of the environment. But that's not going to work if everybody who does the right thing and pays their, their carbon price is getting undermined by products that don't. So can you talk about that a little bit, that sense that this is protectionism, but it's not the protectionism that we used to worry about. It's something different. Or, or do you agree with that at all? No, I agree. No, I agree. <laughs> so maybe, maybe, you know, I had a sort of Freudian moment where maybe I'm, 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 I'm on both sides of, of the argument. It was kind of a long question. So But I'll approach it because it opens the door to something that I, I, I think about often. And it's, um, and, and then I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take two tacks. One is 
on the you know the sort of the, the the energy transition, all the things that we need to do uh, to just green our economy in North America. I, I support it all. It's 100% uh, important. However, where I defer is on the speed at which it is going to have to happen if we want to stay competitive, inter you know, internationally. And let's not forget that China, no matter what the West does, you know, whether it's North America and Europe together, no matter the sacrifices we make for this energy transition, if China continues on the path that it is in now, it's still opening coal mines. It, their emission basically more than negate any efforts that we're making in the Western That's world. That's depressing, so but true. It, it's depressing, but true, isn't it? Yeah. And so it's not to say we shouldn't do our part. Of course not, we should. But maybe we should be reasonable on the way to get there. And, you know, things like KXL pipeline was a reasonable, you know, measured have. Um, and because we're, That's you know, right. we haven't turned off the gas yet or the oil. So, so they're, they're, I think so, we have to be reasonable. The second, the second piece, and is is simple. I think we need to change the mindset in in all three countries and move it and really move it towards North American competitiveness. No longer think in national terms um, to make ourselves competitive. Understand that we're going to be more competitive nationally if we look at it from a continental perspective. Um, so if we can get to that mindset and you know I, I don't want to be naive but uh, I think that then we'll really be in, in in a place where yes we will have better wages yes we'll have better environmental standards yes we'll have a better uh, quality of life and standard of life of because we will produce products that the rest of the world will buy and I personally believe that there will be a time where people around the world customers will make decision based on on the um, on the footprint of, of, of the products that they're buying absolutely and, and when they know that it's 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 been produced in as green a way as possible um, then I think we're 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 in the game well green and local if people start thinking buy local means buy in the North American neighborhood that would be a competitive advantage so we're going to take a little break and when we come back we don't have a lot of time left with ambassador Blay uh, she's very busy at this U.S.-Mexico-Canada conference, but I want to get back to where we started, which is the political relationships that you've developed, because you said you said you'd come back to why that's important, and I want to talk in some specifics. So we'll, we'll get there when we come back. Are you red, white, and blue, or just red and white? Beaver or bald eagle? Ryan Reynolds or J-Lo? Canusa Street, a masterclass in cross-border relations. This is where Canada and the United States intersect on the policies and issues of our two great nations. But you know that already. That's why you're here. The question is, if you want more of this bilateral bonanza delivered directly to your inbox, and you know you do, how about signing up for Scotty Greenwood's weekly email updates on Canada-US relations? Head to cabc.co to sign up today. And now back to Canusa Street. Welcome back to Canusa Street, everybody. We are here with Louise Blay, who is uh, Canada's a longtime Canada's advocate in every place from Atlanta to the United Nations. She's she's been an ambassador. She's been uh, a corporate diplomat, and uh, we're here talking with her about North America. Scotty, you you ended us just just in the last segment. You ended us with a thought. Uh, carry on. Well, that's right, Ambassador. You spoke in general terms. I'm hoping you can get a little bit specific um, about 
When you were Canada's representative to the southeastern United States, you made some good friends. Um, that there, Georgia is the center of the political universe every few years because of, you know, the two senators from Georgia made the difference in whether or not Democrats or Republicans would control the United States Senate. And that has to do with whether or not President Biden's agenda gets through, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, both of those senators, per, senators personally. Um, so talk to us about why that matters or whatever you said you had an example. So let me let me open it up to you. I. I believe the true success of those relationships is when they are developed when before the person is in a position of, of influence on the right. way up. And I think me personally, that's been, that's made the difference. And to be a friend, rain or shine, and I'll give you the example that I wanted to give you. There's so many, but the one that I love to use, of course, is um, uh, former governor Sonny Perdue. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sonny Perdue was not, was no longer governor of, of Georgia when I arrived. It was Nathan Deal, also a great friend of Fran uh, Canada. But Sonny Perdue was the one who, uh, with Jean Charest, had put together SUCP, which is the alliance of eastern provinces and southern states. So yeah, I knew he was a good friend of Canada. I hadn't met him uh, before, but as soon as I arrived, and he was at that point in between jobs, you know? Yeah. You know. Um, you know, probably he's just a he, former football coach yeah, at that he point. Was, yeah, he was gardening and 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 hunting and having you know a good a good time. It wasn't somebody that everyone was trying to you know get in to see. But I felt that it was important for me to 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 really pay my respect and and to give him thanks for what he had done. And so I you know I called on him. Of course, he was delighted. And then a little while later, when the governor general came down to the southeast, uh, we decided to award him a medal of uh, the the Queen's uh, at the time the Queen's uh, Medal for his service for uh, Canada-U.S. relations. Of course, he came. He was really delighted to receive the honor. Well, lo and behold, Trump gets elected to, to, the, to the White House. He gets named Secretary of Agriculture. And now we have a friend in a very, very important position That's because right. agriculture was at the center of everything, NAFTA at the time. And we now know, I knew before the Kushner book, but now we all know that it was really Sonny Perdue that saved the day. He was not supposed to be at the White House the day that they were making decision, the decision to either uh, renegotiate or, or tear up NAFTA. Um, and everyone was in the Oval Office with the, with the president. And uh, he heard about it. And uninvited, he came to the White House uh, and, and had the secretary announce that he was outside the chamber. Rince Priebus, at the time, who was the uh, the chief of staff, came out and said, Sonny, what are you doing here? <laughs> and yeah. Sonny said, well, you know, just tell the president I'm here and I'd like to be included in this debate that you're having. And um, and he walked in and at that time, things were really very much going towards, you know, issuing an, exec, you know, an, an executive order that night. I mean, this was how close we came. And he came with a map, you know, the story is, is, is quite uh, well known now, uh, of all the states that had voted for President Trump. And and they're all big agricultural state. And 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 Derek Kushner credits Sonny Perdue for for changing the tide of that conversation. So I, I give him credit too. I, I mean, at, at this, you, you mentioned Sioux CP Southeast U.S. Canadian provinces. This this quirky but important group. I was just. Uh, 
there a few months ago uh, interviewing Sonny Perdue and or on stage with Sonny Perdue being interviewed by your colleague now, uh, Ambassador Blake, Craig Lesser, who was the Georgia Commissioner of International Trade. And and I asked Sonny about the story and he he talked about it, too. I mean, it was a moment where President Trump really was going to walk away completely from NAFTA, just tear it up and fulfill his campaign promise. And it was Sonny Perdue who just had a political conversation and said, look, do what you want, but understand the consequence. And I agree, it's not, I mean, the Kushner book, sure, but anybody who was involved knew the pivotal role um, that an advisor to the president could play. And um, so I'm glad you cultivated him early. <laughs> and yeah, because, because he wasn't paying attention necessarily to Canada and, uh, no, and, 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 you know, before that moment, that, uh, uh, no, it was after that moment, he, um, he convened uh, three amigos, as they used, we used to call them, these things, uh, with his counterpart from Canada and Mexico to Savannah for three days on consultations and then developed really, really close relationship. And of course, I came along and he invited me, but that, but, that's what I mean. It's just, you got to be there from the start. You have to be, you know, and, and it, I do something and I don't want to, uh, you know, keep on this point, but I, I do meet with candidates, you know, before they're elected. I do the rounds. I think that that is the job of a diplomat to go and consult candidates that are running for office. Well, you're brave because I'm pretty sure Global Affairs Canada doesn't endorse this practice, <laughs> but <laughs> nevertheless, it's a really interesting idea. Well, I hate to say this, Chris, but we are coming to the end of our time. And uh, Ambassador Blay, you're doing so much work. I hope you'll come back to Canusa Street. I hope you'll invite me. I certainly will. You are always welcome on both sides of the street. So thank you very much for coming in and sharing a little bit of insight to how we really do things in North America. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.